Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello, dear friends, and thank you for joining me as we continue our look into the book of the minor prophet Malachi. And by way of review, Malachi is not technically a proper name, but rather it is the Hebrew statement Malachiah, meaning that he is a messenger of Yahweh. And truly, that is what we see in this last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, being an Israelite Levitical priest, comes in and he heirs the six disputes that Yahweh God has against his Israelite people. And Malachi, of course, as the book begins on the premise of establishing the differences between the Edomite and the Israelite, or Jacob and Esau. And of course you know, as well as I do, that Yahweh God loved Jacob, but he truly hated Esau. That is important because The six disputes that Malachi brings against us, the Israelite men, women, and children, we've already partially covered, but they're all against us, and they come at a time where the Israelite priests are coming in and lying to a majority of our people. And truly, we live in that era today, where they come in and they say the Edomites are God's chosen, when we've already proven that according to this book of Malachi, Esau, Edom are the people that Yahweh God has indignation or hatred against forever. But Malachi comes, his name means messenger. He's not mentioned outside of this book in any other book of the Bible. He prophesied after the reconstruction of the temple. So, he likely helped during the times of Ezra and Nehemiah in rebuilding that very same temple. And, again, he was likely a Levitical priest because normal people do not have issues with some of the six disputes. The average man will not, but a Levitical priest will. And so far, in the first part of Malachi, we've covered the fact that we lack love. We do not show the amount of love that is required by Yahweh God, and that is mostly due to the false priests that tell us the lies that they do, like, Esau is loved, but Jacob is hated. We've also covered the fact that the Levitical priests at Malachi's time were offering corrupted sacrifices. They would go out and find the lamest animal or a blind one or 
one that was born with an extra leg. But they would sacrifice those to Yahweh God instead of the firstlings of his flock. Now, why is that important? Because here in this segment, we're going to look at another dispute of Yahweh God against his Israelite priests. And that happens to be the fifth. Meaning, we're going to be looking at tithes. And tithes are also a polite way of saying an offering. Yahweh God has six disputes. One, we lack love. Two, we're offering corrupted sacrifices for sin atonement. Three, our Israelite men and priests were divorcing the wife of their youth and going after the wife of a strange god or of a foreign nation. And we left off on that point in part two. Today we're going to look at the judgment of Yahweh God, being fire from heaven and a fuller soap. And we're going to look at how the Levitical priests of old used to steal the tithes of Yahweh God. They were considered by Malachi to be God robbers. And then finally, his sixth dispute against us as a people is that we're arrogant. Through all of this, notice it begins on the premise, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Esau was hated because he despised the birthright. And even though Jacob loved that same birthright, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that we were chosen because of grace. Yahweh God saw fit to choose Jacob. Yahweh God saw fit to make the elder serve the younger. Therefore, we can't walk around thinking that our skin color is the greatest thing and that's all that is required, in fact. That was exactly what these Judean priests were doing at the times of Malachi. And Malachi comes in and says, you're lacking love. You're offering corrupted sacrifices. You're divorcing yourself from Yahweh God, metaphorically. And you're also divorcing the wife of your youth, literally. To go and play the harlot with non-Israelite women. And so if you remember... We left off in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, where we read, Our retort to Yahweh God after he says that we are hypocrites. More specifically, the tribe of Judah. Verse 14 says, Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because Yahweh hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion, and the wife of thy covenant. The wife of our covenant, of course, is Yahweh God, because each and every one of us are considered to be the bride. And we are waiting for the return of the bridegroom, are we not? And this is why this ministry has spent so much time in trying to espouse the importance of the return of Christ. Now today we're going to be looking at not only the first advent of Yahshua, meaning that he would be born and the prophecies pertaining to his birth, but also the second advent of Yahshua, meaning his return, the ultimate great and terrible day of Yahweh God, in which every rudiment and every plant that Yahweh God did not sow will be burned with fire. And so Yahweh God himself says, I am witness that you, Judah, by extension, the priests in context have dealt treacherously against the wives of their youth. And unfortunately, in part two, we were only halfway through the book. And I wasn't able to fully prove this. 
But in order to understand what's truly being said, just read the next verse. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Now, at this point in the lecture, and we're just beginning, your average modern person could come in and say, that sounds like Yahweh God is discriminating. That sounds like he's biased or bigoted. But indeed, that's exactly what was going on. During the rebuilding of the temple, many other nations came, like the Samaritans, Canaanites, and even worse. And the Israelites at that time would say, go away, we do not require your help. But they weren't above taking their wives and breeding mamzers into existence. Meaning they were violating the law of God against divorce. And in doing that act, in cutting themselves off and corrupting the holy seed, Malachi says that they divorced themselves from Yahweh God, the wife of their youth. So either way you look at this, literally or proverbially, you can see that Yahweh God does not approve of divorce. And the reason for this, of course, is because divorce usually leads our men and women down the primrose path of serving gods and cultures that are not ours. And that, my friend, is exactly what was going on 520 years after this book was written, when Yahshua goes within the same exact temple and cleansed it, quote-unquote, from the corruption that was within it, telling them that they had made Yahweh's house a den of thieves. So, the way of the false prophet is to come in and say, you know what, whatever Yahweh God commanded, it's okay that you do the exact opposite. And truly, we live in a society today where one merely needs to turn on the television and see that almost everything that is promoted by Esau, Edom today, being modern Jewry, is a violation of God's law. Just like lacking love. Just like offering corrupt sin sacrifices. Just like divorce. In fact, it is the way of the Jewish enemy to come in and say there's nothing wrong with divorce. When Yahweh God says He hates divorce and this is the reason why. It draws us away from loving the wife of our youth. Even Solomon understood that. And he had many strange women. But he understood the difference between the wife of the covenant and these mixed nations that will anger Yahweh God against us. He had the residue of the Spirit. Each and every one of us have that. The breath of Yahweh God breathed within Adam. And man became a living soul. There truly is one group of people who are held accountable according to the law, and they are also the same exact people to whom the law was given. Therefore, in Malachi, we read terms like, My name shall be glorified among the Gentiles or the heathen. And it makes perfect sense as to why. Because if we do not maintain our sovereignty, if we do not maintain our rule, then we become the tail, and the enemy becomes the head. And this is what Yahweh God was trying to circumvent through Malachi. He knew the priests were corrupt, but the Israelites, for the most part, trusted them. And so they could come in and say, hey, there's nothing wrong with taking your third, fourth, fifth wife from among the nations that Yahweh God forbid. So do you understand now why when Christ came 
to the temple of Jerusalem. He said, they sit in Moses' seat. Whatever they bid you do, but don't be like them because they're hypocrites. And that, my friend, is what we're looking at today. Verse 16. For Yahweh, the God of Israel, saith that He hateth putting away. Once again, second witness to the Old Testament teaching that Yahweh God hates divorce. It's not His natural way. And let me interject here. There was a time where these self-same priests and or Pharisees came to Yahshua. And they said, Master, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any reason? And what did Christ retort? What did He tell them? He said, in the beginning it was not so. In fact, Yahshua Himself defined what marriage was. One man, one woman, making a covenant with God and becoming one. That act of marriage that we do down here is meant to symbolize our relationship with Yahweh God. And Yahweh God comes in against these six disputes, accusing the Israelites. And every time the Israelites will say, well, how did we do that? Why did we do that? And when it's all said and done, the guilt is charged to the priest. Because the priests were lying, and not only lying. What's most important about this is understanding that they were engaging in the act. So, when you get to John chapter 8, when you read about the woman taken in adultery... It makes more sense, does it not? Because the Judean Pharisees were adulterating their holy seed. Notice, Yahweh God says, I might seek a godly seed. How? By not miscegenating. By being pure. By observing the very first law of Yahweh God, which is kind after kind. But the priests weren't teaching that then, no more than they are now. And the priests weren't telling us that we need to love God and keep His commandments no more then than they are now. In fact, what we live under today, in the guise of Judeo-Christendom, is antinomianism. They come in and say, you don't have to follow the law, therefore, you see how this book of Malachi is more imperative to understand now, before the return of Christ, than it was even back then. Because there truly is no new thing under the sun. For Yahweh, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth the putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Wherefore, take heed to your spirits, that ye deal not treacherously. What's being said right there? God is telling the Israelites, check your spirit. Before you deal treacherously against what? The wife of your youth. Be it your first bride, being Israel or your initial bride, being Yahweh God, to whom you are married. Check your spirit, because when you start thinking of divorce, you're not thinking the will of God. In fact, the will of God is what Yahweh God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Either way, whether they're trying to convince you of divorce, or miscegenation, which here, according to the second chapter of Malachi, is the same as divorce. Dealing treacherously with the wife of our youth and being forever taken of Yahweh God. He hates the putting away. He hates those that cover violence with their garment. And notice in context here, the violence that is done through the priests and their lies is against the seed. Did he not make one? Yet he had the residue of the spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. One race. Not Edom, but the Jacobites, 
which ultimately became known as Israelites. And in him and his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why is all of this? You would think that if Yahweh God loved the Israelites and the Judeans so much that he wouldn't have any issue, even if they came in in line, right? Well, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. And I really want to drive home a point pertaining to the blessing of Jacob and Esau. Now, I should have covered this in the first part, but I feel it actually fits in better here. In Genesis chapter 2, it is here that the history of Abraham is given. The history of Abraham that ultimately begot Isaac, that ultimately begot Jacob, who begot the twelve tribes of Israel. And we read in chapter 12 of Genesis verse 1, Yahweh had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. What does nation mean? But race and or seed. God tells Abraham, if you leave your own people who are living in apostasy, just like we're dealing with here, about 500 B.C., I will make thee a great nation, a holy seed, a royal priesthood. Continue reading. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Pay close attention to verse 3. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Indeed, it is a given that the Israelites have blessed every other nation and or race on the face of the earth through our overabundance. But now we are at a point in history where the plagues of Yahweh God are being poured out. And we no longer have an overabundance to give. But what you need to understand about the very promise that was given to Abraham that ultimately became fulfilled in his grandson Jacob is that I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. Now, it does not matter what nation and or race you are in that regard. In fact, it probably is a bigger error to be an Israelite, come in and curse. But we learn from Malachi, we have the ability to both bless and curse, do we not? We are told that Yahweh will curse the deceiver, and cursed be that deceiver. Therefore, what these priests were doing was cursing the Israelites. Whether it was unknowingly or intentionally, they were cursing them by removing them from their God, by coming in and excusing sin and saying, you can marry whoever you want, you can sacrifice whatever it is you choose, you don't have to obey the Levitical law. Therefore, Yahweh has to raise up an unknown prophet, a messenger of Yah, Malachiah, to tell them they're doing it the wrong way. The curses were being laid out from God and He is blaming the priest. The priest, because that was the promise He made to Abraham. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. Therefore, in Malachi 2.16, we read, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says He hates the putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Did not Christ even tell His own disciples, you know not what spirit you are of? Well, we can learn from this. Every day of your life, check your spirit. Don't quench it. And if possible, upbraid that spirit. 
And so, through all of this, so far we have covered four of the six disputes of Yahweh God. And every time Yahweh God comes in and says, this is what you've done, the Israelites will retort by saying, how did we do that? They plead ignorance, if you will. But not so in the next verse. Here in Malachi 2, verse 17, we see that we ourselves accuse Yahweh God of injustice. Pay close attention to verse 17. Ye have wearied Yahweh with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we worried him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of Yahweh God. That's how you weary God when you call good evil and evil good. And let me ask you, do we not live in a society like that today? Where they come in and they call the most debased creatures of Yahweh God that are abominable within His eyes, they call that good. But yet when a preacher is risen up and says verbatim what Christ taught, or what Malachi says, well, they're bad. They're evil. What is that but weariness against Yahweh God? He says, ye have wearied Yahweh with your words, yet ye say, well, how did we even weary him? And the answer is given, when ye say, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of God, not man. It's not the act of man coming in and saying evil is good. It's the act of these priests going in and saying Yahweh God accepts the things that He forbids. He forbids us to lack love. That is the first commandment. He forbids us from giving corrupted offerings. That's against His very law. He forbids divorce. Because in the beginning it was not so. And therefore, when ye say everyone that does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh, and He delights in them, where is the God of judgment? Where, once again, is the God of judgment? What can we learn from this? That judgment is a deterrent. That's what the purpose of the law is. But when the law is not exercised, sin and wickedness increases, does it not? And when a priest comes in and calls evil good and excuses it and says, you know what? Yahweh God approves of you. Doesn't matter if you're arrogant. Doesn't matter if you rob him in ties. That is the same exact thing as wearying God. Don't weary God, my friend. That's what the priests were doing. And all of these disputes are against them. Therefore, we now begin chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we're going to look at several things. But these are mentions of coming messengers. Remember, Malachi begins by saying, I'm a messenger of Yahweh God. Then we learn that the priest is meant to be a messenger of Yahweh God, but yet they're lying. Therefore, nothing really changed here. This book was given, and for 500 years, the priest would know. They could read it, they could lay it to heart, or they could continue in apostasy, and they can say, God has said it's okay when He didn't. So we learn about the first and second advents right at the beginning of chapter 3. And let me point out that the Latin Vulgate splits chapter 3 into two chapters. So in all truthfulness, chapter 4, verse 1 in Malachi is really chapter 3, verse 19. It's a continuation. But in the King James, it's a separate chapter. And we're looking at chapter 3, verse 1, where we are reminded, Behold! I will send my messenger, stopping right there once again. Yahweh God is going to send a messenger. 
And a messenger, in the Greek anyway, means angelos. It can mean a messenger like Gabriel, who is a literal angel of Yahweh God with longevity, who appeared in the book of Daniel, and also to Miriam, almost a thousand years later. Or, it can be a messenger like Malachi, unnamed, unknown, but his message still stands. Or, this message can be brought to you by a messenger such as myself. And reiterating and looking at these teachings. But who is this messenger? Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And Yahweh, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith Yahweh of hosts. Did you notice? That right there in that one opening verse in Malachi 3, we dealt with two messengers. One is the messenger who prepares the way. That, of course, was fulfilled in John the Baptist. The second is the messenger of the covenant. A polite way of saying the new covenant, which, ironically, is made with the same house of Israel and house of Judah as the old covenant was. But the new covenant is technically considered the final covenant. Because we've proven, even in the times of Malachi, that tenth, final, Levitical covenant that was made remained corrupted. No longer would the blood of he goats, lambs, and bullocks forgive sin. So we are reminded, behold, I will send my messenger, Yahweh God himself. And the first messenger, of course, is John the Baptist. Now, To really drive this home, because I alluded to this as we began the series, I can't rightfully just come in and tell you that that's John the Baptist or Jesus Christ without really confirming it. But in the very first book of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 3, we read in verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. What does John the Baptist cry out? Prepare ye the way of Yahweh, and make his path straight. But yet here, in Malachi chapter 3, we are told, I will send my messenger, and he will what? Prepare the way. So the first messenger, of course, is John the Baptist. John the Baptist's job was to make straight the way, to prepare it for Yahshua's coming. That doesn't mean that through John the Baptist, the entire world said, you know what, I accept Christ this day. But it does mean that he prepared the way. What did John the Baptist do to get us ready for Yahshua's coming? He baptized with water, full immersion, in the river Jordan. That was the first messenger of chapter 3 that was sent. And he was sent to prepare the way. And notice also that the Israelites of old were not only seeking John the Baptist, but they were seeking this quote-unquote messenger of the covenant. He who would fulfill that covenant. And notice also, the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Whom ye, the Israelites, delight in, not the priests. We delight in him. And we're told that he will come, the messenger of the covenant, Christ is this messenger. He was predicted to make a new covenant between God and man. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 6. 
numerous places, but it's reiterated in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. The messenger of the covenant. And so, I'd like to prove that as well before we move on. Because the way of the Jew is to come in and deny Christ in any of these prophecies. And they don't really want you to understand how perfect they are and how they were fulfilled in Yahshua. Therefore, in Hebrews chapter 8, we read in verse 6, Now, Christ hath obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also is He the mediator of a better covenant? It's a better covenant because it no longer requires offerings at the altar. Offerings that the priest can come in and corrupt. But it was established upon better promises. Better promises. In short, we could say this. The Israelites messed up so many times that God Himself had to come to be the full pattern and show us how to do it. This is why it is so important to understand that Christ was guileless. That there was no sin laid to His charge. That He truly was an acceptable, albeit innocent, sacrifice in the eyes of Yahweh God. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256 Brooks, Georgia 30205 or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry, or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. But who may abide the day of His coming? Stopping right there. Now we're moving into the second advent. The first advent begins here, chapter 3. I'll send my messenger, John the Baptist. I'll send my second messenger, Yahshua Messiah. Then in verse 2, it shifts. Who may abide the day of His coming? The day of the Lord. The great and terrible day of Yahweh. Two advents being mentioned. One has already happened. John has come. Yahshua has come. John fulfilled his destiny. Yahshua fulfilled his purpose. And laid down for one and all time an acceptable offering or sacrifice. Unlike the priests of old. Who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Yahshua's return. The day of the Lord, in short, judgment day, is like a refiner's fire. And is it not interesting how, in the last two months, I have preached two sermons pertaining to the return of Christ. And every prophecy in the Old and New Testament say that it is a day 
of fire. A day of restoration. That the tares are gathered and they are burned. And Obadiah chapter 1 says the Edomites are burned. And we're told in the New Testament, every plant that Yahweh the Lord hath not planted shall be rooted up and burned with fire. So that's a given. We know the return of Christ returns with fire. And He returns. And the brightness of His coming is what destroys those rudiments. But what I want to look at is the fuller soap. Perhaps you've heard the expression, time to wash your mouth out with soap. That's because soap is a cleansing agent. It's meant to purify that which is dirty. And what God is saying is the priest, and because of the priest, the Israelites are dirty within His eyes. We've already proved that. Wherein have we wearied Him? When ye say, everyone that does good is evil, and everyone that does evil is good, and Yahweh God accepts that. It's not the way of Yahweh God. Two advents, and I'll tell you right here, who will abide the return of Christ. They are the saints, the remnant within Israel, because only a remnant escape. Indeed, Malachi came for the Israelites. In fact, his book begins on that. Indeed, Yahshua came only for the Israelites. But Christ had no problem saying, Narrow is the way and few there be that find it. Or, many are called, few are chosen. The reality of it is, is when our priests come in and claim to speak for Yahweh God, but lie, they mislead the nations. And notice that Yahweh God has no other option but to do it himself. So he sends John the Baptist. John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Yahshua. And Yahshua came, and when he was baptized, the sky opened up, did it not? Finally, Yahweh God says, here is an acceptable sacrifice. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But he doesn't say that from Genesis to Malachi. All of the offerings that were given for sin were unacceptable, because Christ was the final covenant. So this Levitical priest reminds you of that. The messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith Yahweh of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? You can abide the first advent because he's just a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But who will abide his second? Because you can't just come in at that point and say, well, I'm an Israelite, that's good enough, or even I have many works. Because after all, the goats are told, depart from me. They had works. Don't lose sight of the fact that the number one dispute given by God is that we lack love. He began Malachi on that point. We lack love. We look for little loopholes so we don't have to obey the law. That's exactly what the priests were doing. To them, it was religion. To them, it was a tradition. It was not done out of a pure heart. So when Christ came to the same temple, He said, you make null the Word of God with your traditions. And those traditions ultimately became known as the codified Talmud or the traditions of the elders. Judaism, my friend, that espouses Esau, Edom is loved and Jacob is hated. Do you understand it now and why I'm spending time here? God returns like a refiner's fire. We know that. But He also comes like a fuller soap. To cleanse, my friend, that which is dirty. Even if a priest comes in and calls evil good and says that person's perfectly clean. Remember, in context, we're looking at offerings. 
We're looking at tithes. Things that require a sacrifice. And the Israelites were bringing corrupted offerings. Because the priests were saying it's okay. Therefore, God returns like a fuller shout, meaning that this kingdom that He initially created perfect and saw that everything He created was good will be restored to its former glory before His enemy perverted it to where it is today. Verse 3 even adds, And He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. How do you purify silver? You burn it. You melt it down until it's a liquid to get the impure element out of it. That is why this analogy of fuller soap is so important. If you truly want to be clean, the end result is Christ. And Christ alone can make you clean. And you'll never be fully clean until what? The second advent, when He returns in fire and like a fuller soap, to cleanse the earth, to cleanse you and I of all our impure spiritual impediment. So, he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto Yahweh an offering in righteousness. An offering in righteousness. A true offering cannot be made unless it's made in righteousness. Meaning, with Yahshua being acknowledged in the offering. Again, I don't know how many times I can stress this fact, but we within CI hide behind the law a lot of times. And there's much power within the law. And while God's law is meant to be complete, and every man is ultimately judged according to that law, the law of statutes and ordinances, the blood rituals pertaining to the law, were unfulfilled even when it was spoken. Here we're starting to see that. Notice that Malachi even says the messenger of the new covenant is whom you delight in, whom you're looking forward to coming. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify, does it say the entire world? Does it say they in Japan? No, it says he shall purify the sons of Levi, the Israelites, more specifically the priestly tribe. The tribe that was meant to handle the oracles of God, to handle the offerings that were made for Yahweh God, a polite way of saying a tithe, and also the ones that were supposed to go out and make a sin atonement for us when we erred. But at the times of Malachi, they were not doing that. They were, just like today, coming in and saying, God accepts you how you are. Doesn't matter if you're evil. Doesn't matter if you're divorced. Doesn't matter if you have mams or children or little bastards. God loves you. That is why the third chapter deals with judgment. We're told by Malachi, Christ will come. John the Baptist will come. And then it jumps to the second advent. Because that's all you get, my friend. You either accept Christ or you will be burned up or hurt like a fuller soap. But notice also, chapter 3, verse 3. Yahweh will only accept an offering in righteousness if it is done in regards of the coming Messiah. Makes perfect sense if you think about it. Because what do we sacrifice for? Well, I can tell you this. When men sign up to join the army, they are making a sacrifice for their country, for their government, not for Yahweh God. When we happen to uh, scrape up our quarters to buy a car to go work downtown Atlanta, 
We're making a sacrifice for self or for the Jew, but not for Yahweh God. A sacrifice must be made by the Israelites. Christ proved that in His sacrifice that He willfully laid down. That He willfully laid down. Why is all this important? Because here in a minute, we're going to talk about the Israelites being restored. And what I want you to notice is that they weren't restored under the priest. They're not even restored by John. John, the Baptist's job, was to prepare the way for Christ. And they're not even fully restored at the first advent. Because through that time, until the return of Yahshua, you have free will to choose. But at the final advent, where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Yahshua is Lord, then and only then is Israel restored. Now what I want you to pay close attention to as we go through this is the fact that if the Israelites are restored, then who is this judgment against? Verse 4, here in Malachi 3, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto Yahweh, as in the days of old, and as in the former years. What's that mean? That means before these priests corrupted it. When will these sacrifices be acceptable? <laughs> During the second advent. Not until. In context. Then Israel will be restored. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto Yahweh. When? When He, Jesus Christ, sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. When He returns like fire and soap. When He sets everything back, then and only then will those sacrifices be like they were in the days of old and in the former years. That means before the temple was destroyed, when Yahweh God was more prone to consider those offerings acceptable. Then the Israelites will be restored only through Yahshua. And so you're going to find men who come in and say, you know what, I'm an Israelite, that's all that's required of me. And then they go out and they live a life devoid of any spirit. In fact, they live worse off at times than the heathens. Do you really believe that you can murder, you can rape, you can miscegenate based on what we've dealt with today and God will be proud of you because of your race? Race doesn't enter into the equation here. In fact, race is so important to Yahweh God that if we, the Israelites, who are meant to contend for God, no longer hold that birthright in high regard going to give it to the Gentiles. going to give it to the Edomites. And that's the era we live in today. Notice, the Israelites are restored. But the Edomites are the people that Yahweh God has indignation against forever. And the Israelites are only restored, not at the hands of the law, not through an offering, not through the priests, but only through Christ and His return. Does it make sense now as to why we are told that we cannot weary God. That's another way of saying don't quench the Spirit. Don't come in and call evil good and good evil. And now they do that. Even though the Jews had a hand in murdering Christ, even though we're told by Paul that they're contrary to all men, they don't please God, even though Christ said in John chapter 8 that they are born of the devil, that they are born of a different father, it does not stop a corrupted false priest from coming in and saying they're God's chosen. What I want you to understand about this is it was no different when Christ came. No different. Christ had to pick up a rock and show it to the Pharisees and say, Yahweh God can raise up seed to Abraham through this stone. 
not that important in the grand scheme of things. What is important is that we serve Yahweh God in spirit and truth. And both of those were lacking at the time of Malachi when this was written. And all of those were lacking until Yahshua finally came. And that gave us a glimpse of Him who we had hope in, Him who we delighted in. But we're ultimately not restored as the Israelites like we should be by fire and like soap until Christ Himself sits as a refiner and a purifier. What can we deduct from that? Christ is judge. There is no judge beyond Yahshua. Now, when Christ does that, then our offerings will be acceptable. That's a given. That's common sense. Because God Himself said that Christ was acceptable and He was well pleased with Him. But full justice will truly be meted out. It's going to be rendered. And here are the eight sins of Judah. Remember that a majority of these priests were Judean. They weren't Levitical. They were of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And they sat in Moses' seat. Christ said they weren't supposed to. Malachi is saying that the Levitical priest is supposed to sit in Moses' seat. And of course we know that because we can't teach the book of Leviticus. <laughs> without even saying the name of the tribe. So Israel will be restored. But full justice is going to be rendered. Christ taught this. The Jew comes in and says, well, the Hindus call it karma. No, Christ said you reap what you sow. Every man is judged according to their work, their thought, their deed. We cannot come in and blame Billy Graham. No more than these Israelites can blame the false prophets. Even though God is angry with the priests, even though Christ was upset with the Pharisees, if we allow ourselves to be deceived by them when Christ said, I have foretold you all things, that is our judgment. We are judged according to our fruit and our works. So in verse 5 we learn, And I will come near to you to judgment. Stopping right there. I, Yahweh speaking, will come near to you in judgment when? When Christ sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. When He purifies the sons of Levi. When Christ Jesus purges them as gold and silver. Then and only then will I, God, come near to you in judgment. Even Malachi is teaching you that Christ is God. It's really simple to understand. Yahweh is spirit incarnate. But Christ is the incarnated Son of God in flesh. Separate but equal. So therefore we're told, I will come near to you in the day that Christ sits in judgment. And remember, He returns at the Mount of Olives, but perhaps that's a study for another day. I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the false swearers, against those that oppress the hireling in wages, the widow, the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger. And fear not me, saith Yahweh of hosts. <laughs> Did you not notice that these five classes that were all laid to Judah, the priests, are exactly what we dealt with? Number one, sorcerers. They call evil good, good evil. Number two, adulterers. Because they adulterated against God by going and serving the daughter of a strange God. And they adulterated their own seed line in the process of doing that. They're also considered false swearers. A nice way of saying they lie. 
that was exactly what the priests were doing, is it not? Because we were told. They say, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh, and Yahweh delights in the evil. Is there anything new under the sun when we live in an era now where your modern priest will come in and say, God loves homosexuals, God loves murderers and pedophiles, but he hates Pastor Visser, and he disdains Dr. Wickstrom because they dare tell the truth. Perhaps that sheds light on why the book of Malachi is not necessarily named by a prophet Malachi. Just an unknown messenger of Yah. A simple Malikaya. And each and every one of us can do that. Go out and testify to the thing. Tell them that these are the five sins of Judah, at least to the priests. They were sorcerers, they were adulterers, they were liars. But number four, they were oppressors. And number five is they did not fear or reverence the name of Yahweh God. Is there truly any new thing under the sun? Not really. Because here in a moment, this narrative is going to shift into tithing. And this is one of the ways that the priests were oppressing the Israelites. Now we're not going to have time today because we only have about five minutes left to actually look into tithing. So we'll save that for the final and fourth part next Wednesday. But what you need to understand about a tithe is it's meant to go to Yahweh God. It's meant to go to the furtherment of His Word. It's meant to be paid in lieu of other things, meaning a sacrifice, to the Levitical priest so others can be blessed. The reason God called for us to give 10% was so that those that were in need, widows, fatherless, etc., when they required something to eat, when they required clothing. The priests could do that. That is why we're told here, of all the things they did, they oppressed the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless. Why? Well, we're about to learn here in a minute. But it was through time. It was through making offerings. Corrupted offerings. And they were robbing the Israelite people. And Yahweh God says, if you rob them, you're robbing me. How have you robbed God in tithes and offerings? I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. Don't you understand that the priests in Malachi's time were cursing us, causing Yahweh God to pour out His curses? Can't you understand that the pastors of today are cursing us while we're being inundated, while we're being plagued, while there's earthquakes in diverse places? When nation rises against nation and kingdom rises against kingdom, the false prophet, Judeo-Christian bastard tear will come straight in and say, God loves you. Everything's perfect. While you're being killed, the holy, royal seed of Yahweh God in the street by your enemies who hate the name of Christ. Think about it, my friend. Because God is about to give you a very valuable key. And it's found in verse 6. Perhaps you've heard this quoted before. It's very important in understanding. I am Yahweh. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God, Yahweh, cannot change because if He could, the Israelites would be consumed. Now consider this statement in light of what we covered thus far. I am God, I don't change. Why would He say that? Because he wants you to go back to the unchanging law, as is found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, to determine for yourself whether the prophet you're listening to is false or genuine. 
I am Yahweh, I don't change. God does not change. And let me reiterate that for you. God does not change. If He had an issue with homosexuals in the Old Testament, He's going to have an issue with them under the New Testament. If He had an issue with us going out and miscegenating and adulterating, He's going to have an issue at the return of Christ. I am Yahweh God, the name, very important. I don't change. Why? So the sons of Jacob will not be consumed. So you have a yardstick. So you can go back to the Word of God and you can tell when a false prophet comes in and says evil is good and good is evil. And I'm telling you, a majority of these celebrities that the world holds up and reveres, they're abominable in the eyes of God. They will be burned up. They are rudiments. And the biggest irony of all is they are not the holy seed of Jacob. Can a book get any more racial than this book of Malachi? It was written to the Israelites. We're reminded here, I am Yahweh, I do not change. So, you Jacobites or Israelites will not be consumed. So you have a standard of measure. So you can go back to it and know you're right in the eyes of God, but not the eyes of men. So, verse 7 says, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances. God's saying this didn't just happen. And it's not solely the priests who are doing it. Even from the times your fathers ate manna during the Exodus, even when the promise was made to Abraham, they did not obey as they should have. They did not love. They did not make the correct offerings. They were divorcing and whoring after other nations. They laughed or scoffed at the judgment of Yahweh God that will come as fire and soap, and they also scoff at the aspect of time. And it's not so much the people, because people usually will send in a time, but it's more what the priests were doing with the time. As I said, many of them were selling indulgences. Many of them were taking money that was given them, the 10%, as per the Mosaic Law, and we'll get to that in the next and final segment. And what they were doing was living on it. They were going and buying hookers and getting drunk and engaging in revelry. Therefore, God will say here in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yeah, indeed, he will. A priest will. So you better check your priest. But verse 7, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Notice ordinance, not law. Ordinances pertaining to the blood, pertaining to the rituals for sin atonement. He doesn't say that they failed at the law. He says that the offerings that were to be made at the hands of the Levitical priests weren't even complete. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith Yahweh of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? How shall we return? The answer is given. I'll tell you how we will return to Christ. We already covered it in verse 4 here in chapter 3 of Malachi. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto Yahweh, as in the days of old, and as in the former years. As in the former years. Very important to understand. And so, as time is getting away from me, I'm going to leave it off here in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? The answer, in tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. The tithes and the offerings, they belong to Yahweh. 
and it's by virtue of the covenant agreements made with his Israelite people. And to use them for personal gain is robbing Yahweh God and what rightfully belongs to him because it's meant to be spent on the same exact people that the priests were oppressing. But then, like now, they would rather go and buy a nice Lexus, a nice boat, or even an airplane, Learjet, so they can fly over and rub shoulders with the Edomites. So, we're going to leave it right there, and know that in the final segment, part four, that's coming forward in about three days, we're going to look in depth at tithing. I personally stay away from teaching on tithing. And the reason for that is there's simply really no way you can come in and preach it honestly without being perceived as a beggar. The priest shouldn't have to beg. The tithe should be given almost obligatorily. And it should be given to the right people who will not rob God. And it is a safe bet that if you give a tithe to a Christian identity ministry, it will likely get back to the royal seed. But if you give a tithe to someone like Joel Olstein or Billy Graham, pretty good bet that money's going to go towards funding the breeding of non-whites in Africa, the printing of Bibles for people who can't even read them. So be very careful. We'll leave it at that. Be careful how you tithe, and perhaps more importantly than how you tithe, be sure to tithe. Because again, a tithe is an offering. It requires a sacrifice. And all the six points of dispute that God gives against us as the Israelites is because we never make a sacrifice for anyone. Isn't it ironic how we rarely will sacrifice for our neighbor, which is the second commandment, but yet Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. We are called to follow his pattern, and if we do, Yahweh God will be pleased with us. But if we follow the pattern of organized religion, Judaism, the tradition of the elders, that which Christ rebuked and Malachi did 500 years before him, then we will be cleansed like a fuller soap. We will be burned up with fire and turned to ash by that refiner's fire. So get right with Yahweh God. And I truly hope that this third look into the book of Malachi has edified you and helped you and perhaps inspired you to serve Yahweh God. Not out of tradition, not out of practice, or regularity. But because his number one dispute is, we lack love. Don't lack love, my friend. So, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions, and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings. 
and we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.